let's get started here on call and shots. This is Seth Partnow. I am joined today by uh, my multi-sport uh, companion and uh, frequent uh, Pel- New Orleans Pelicans-related guest, Dua of of Bourbon Street Shots. Um, I imagine you've got a bone to pick with me. Me? A bone? No way, Seth. You're my buddy. Why, why would I have a, a, a bone to pick with you? Certainly um, not, well, not, not a few bones based on tier rankings, but why, why would I have a bone to pick? Well, first of all, like, I think that that's, you know, being my buddy and having a bone to pick with me that end in hand. That's the, that's the, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> that's the, the Carl Weathers sliced Stallone handshake of, of, of things. Uh, so I've been, one of my sort of summer theories has been, we have been overrating or overestimating just the Pelicans, but the Mavericks as well, based on last year's playoffs, because they were standing next to the Suns when the Suns were, as we've come to discover, going through it. Um, so I think a lot of the optimism about the Pelicans coming in and may have been based on that. And of course, we'll get to why none of that actually is in a second. But tell me why I'm wrong. Well, first of all, you are absolutely on the money about the Mavericks. Any opportunity I have to talk about (laughs) that team not being very good, (laughs) I will take it. Um, But no, just uh, just on, on a serious note, you know, I think what the Pelicans accomplished by making the playoffs was less about who their opponent was, more about uh, generating that sense of internal belief. So that's, that goes for their main guy, Brandon Ingram, who we all know, uh, you know, you're a huge fan of (laughs) with your rankings, but um, you know, for him to see that he can have uh, a a certain level of success in, in the postseason for the organization to realize like, Hey, we can start from, being a two and sixteen or three and sixteen team and, and fight and claw our way to the surface um, and and put on a good performance in front of the city. So I think it's less so about oh the Suns were this like in, you know incredibly formidable opponent that the Pelicans went toe to toe with. More so about hey you know this is something we believed in all season long and this is a culmination of our work and and beliefs coming together. And so I think there's a there's a level of momentum. And, and some proof of concept that comes with that. And, and I think most Pelicans fans uh, would argue that it's, it's um, about the Pelicans and not about the Suns. So, I mean, I think the thing we can agree on maybe is it's, it's, it's more about them getting there and, and that it was so less of the momentum is it about it being like a hard-fought series uh, than, than just the fact that they were there and, and a, a credible playoff team. Not necessarily. Well, they they pushed the Suns because I did see at right. least contemporaneously. I did see a fair amount of that. Whoa, watch out for the Pelicans! That part of it, I think, is in retrospect less impressive. But if you're, hey, as if if they'd have lost in 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 five relatively close games, it still would have been a similar thing. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, five, six, you know, whatever that series, you know, the series did end up going to six. I think it was more so, again, like you said, less about who the opponent was and, and how that outcome uh, played out, more about how they got there and, and, and what occurred and, you know, just, just the sense of confidence that it builds internally. For, for a guy like Jose Alvarado, 
starting the season to not knowing if you were an NBA-capable player to having big moments against one of the best uh, point guards to ever play the game. For a guy um, like Trey Murphy, again, who had to fight and claw uh, for his minutes to come into That's the one. playoffs and perform. <laughs> right. Sorry, our friend, our friend Mason Ginsburg asked uh, before the podcast how many Trey Murphy mentions there would be on the pod. And, and, and so we're, we're keeping it total. And we're going to count that all as one. Yeah, we're going to count that all as one. So, you know, I, I think it was just like, hey, this is a young team. You know, we know we brought in CJ McCollum and, and, and Larry Nance, who uh, were a stabilizing force to a great degree. But it was for more so for the young players. And I think for Brandon Ingram himself, just uh, a sense of relief that, hey, he's been in the league for so long and never had any kind of playoff experience any kind of you know he's never never made it prior to this and so to come out there and you know say what you want about the opponent it's still a game plan designated to neutralize you and to have the performances that he had uh speaks to to like i said earlier about like a proof of concept hey this is something that can work especially if you start talking about adding zion sure well we'll get to zion in a second but chris has been uh has been waiting with with a question chris if you mute yourself and uh and fire away so, I'm looking at the Pelicans, and provided Ingram and Zion have chemistry, and th- Ingram and Zion... I think that's a big if, but we'll get there. Well, you know, you gotta... It's, it's, it's October. Hope, uh... Right. I guess, I guess, like, what's the fall equivalent of Hope Springs Eternal? Um... Maybe, maybe the... Everyone's uh, maybe undefeated the in the preseason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, everyone's, you know, everyone's undefeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's undefeated. Um, provided there's chemistry there, and they take they, they develop as you would expect players like them to develop. What's preventing the Pelicans from being a top three Western Conference team? Because I, they seem to be on the right side of the aging curve, and if the pieces get along the way you would expect professionals to get along, which I think is reasonable to hope for, at least. What are they missing? They got a def- they got defense, they got scoring, they got mismatches all over the place. Who can, um... I, I guess, like, who guards that, that two through four provided the eyes at the two like he is in two and herbs at the three and Zion's at the four. Uh, you want to... So- Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think great questions. One, um, you know, uh, there there are a lot of assumptions baked into to your question. Uh, I think Seth kind of commented on those about the fit. Uh, I will say it, it's only been or sixteen hundred minutes, uh, sixteen hundred sixty seven minutes that that Brandon Ingram and Simon Williamson have played together. But they they'd have a plus you know net rating. It wasn't uh, a world beating net rating, but it was a plus four point three. Um, so they were winning those minutes when, when they were together. And, and I, I'd like to believe since the last time they played together, they've put, assembled a better team, a better supporting cast, uh, one that is deeper. And, and I would like to believe that those minutes are going to continue to be productive. So as far as that goes, uh, I have less concerns about the, the on-court fit, particularly in the regular season. Uh, maybe maybe in, in the playoffs, these issues are put under a microscope a bit and we have uh, a sh- you know an issue where like okay maybe we really want the offense to run through Zion 
uh, but he's keyed in on, and, and Brandon Ingram's got to get it going somehow or, or not. But, you know, I think he can cross that bridge when it comes. But when, when you ask about defense, who's going to guard two, two through four, I, I do think defense is going to be a limitation with this team, at least initially. Uh, we have yet to see Zion live up to the defensive potential that he came into the league with. And part of that's, you know, been uh, coming back and forth through injury. Part of that's been related to his conditioning. Uh, and I think this year the team is optimistic that he will trend towards neutral, if not being um, someone who is just not an abject liability. And and I think if that's the case, and I think that was the case, with, in my opinion, with Brandon Ingram, who the pre- first two years with the Pelicans could could have been viewed as a liability on defense. And last year took enough strides in that area to where he was part of many productive defensive units and someone who, again, it's just not – the teams weren't targeting in a way that they did the previous years. So if we can get to that stage with, with Zion and Ingram, I do think that they can – figure out lineups, specifically closing lineups that are functional enough uh, defensively uh, to where their offense is going to be so good that they're just going to like mow through some some weaker teams. But all in all, there's only one Herb Jones on the team. And when you start introducing CJ McCollum and Jonas Valanciunas to the defensive mix, it, it's, it's going to become, in my opinion, shaky uh, defensively. I do think that a Willie Green team is going to pick some of the low-hanging fruits. Like, I think they're going to be the best defensive rebounding team in the league, if not, uh, you know, at least a top three one. And that that's going to bolster their defense. I think their transition defense last year was particularly good. Part of that was because they were, uh, I want to say, the league's best offensive rebounding team, but they may have been second. And and they have been ever since Zion's been on the court as well. And and I think those two strengths, like, help clean up um, – Areas where opposing offenses can get easy buckets. And I think being an efficient offense and playing in half court more is also going to bolster the defense. So it's, it's really like, you know, those, those small things rather than their individual stopping power that's going to make them a force defensively. I'm optimistic that they can be somewhere between 15 and 20 um, when, it, when it comes down to the end of the season in, in their defensive efficiency and their offense. I, you know, I, I think if they're all healthy, it's probably going to be top five. I think that's all fair. I, I, I think that that is is. Uh, uh, thanks for the question, Chris. Um, I, I think that, um, uh, you you rightly point out. I think that this is a, um, a probably a bigger problem set uh, to solve, a kind of against you know in the playoffs and and probably against like the top, you know, X number of teams than it is for the league as a whole. Um, can paper over the fact that um, really it, it almost comes down to what is Zion's best position defensively. Um, and I don't think I, I, I feel pretty confident it's not the five. Um, so he's got to play. He, he might have to play the four. And then you're talking about a lineup where are you, are, are you closing with, with Ingram at the, at the two or the three? And I don't love that. Um, so it's just sort of the knock-on effects of of not being totally sure what what Zion is and what that pairing does together. And if you're if the synergy offensively isn't ideal, which um, maybe this is a good time to talk about, like what do you how do you foresee 
Ingram's effectiveness kind of playing off of Zion. Because I think the ball being in Zion's hands a lot is the best way for them to go offensively, right? I don't think there's much question about that, is there? Well, I don't, you know, it, it seems like the conversations that Willie Green's had with media uh, and, and spoken about publicly, I don't think they're going to lean into the full point Zion thing in a way that Stan Van Gundy did, at least not initially. And I think they're going to be more, you know, egalitarian uh, with their touches. And, and I think Zion is someone who functions well in, in the offense that moves the ball pretty quickly and makes decisions pretty quickly and operates in the early clock. Uh, it's not going to be an issue with him in terms of getting the ball moving. It, it, it might be, I don't want to call it an issue. I, I think it's going to be very good. I'm a big believer in how good their offense is going to be, but you know, where, where some of the questions may arise are, are with CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram who tend to hold the ball uh, longer than Zion and, and take longer to make their decisions. But you know, I, I again, I think they're, they're willing ball movers, and I think they will eventually find a rhythm that clicks in terms of who has the ball more and who has the ball less. But even when they lean into the full, like, sort of heliocentric version of Zion, understanding Gundy for, uh, you know, there's a period from, like, January to, to March before he got hurt. Um, at that time, Brandon Ingram was, was still remarkably efficient. You know, he... he uh, didn't quite have the scoring output in terms of like points per game that he was normally having, but his efficiency went up. And and I think the blueprint is there. He's just got to embrace uh, a couple things. And this is something I asked him about on media day was, hey, are you are you going to place a greater emphasis on your catch and shoot three? Uh, because last year there was a significant dip in his, his catch and shoot volume and, and percentage uh, from, from three and just his overall three-point volume in general. And part of that was because the Pelicans – uh, based on the offensive weapons they had pre-CJ McCollum trade, they really needed Ingram to be the person who was the creator and the person that bent the defenses, and they were trying to get him in as many downhill situations as possible and then you know letting him do what he wanted to base in, in the mid-range position off pick and rolls. Uh, and, and as they introduced CJ McCollum, they started to work him back uh, as, as more of a catch-and-shoot guy so he can get used to playing with someone else who may have the ball in their hand. And this year it's going to be pivotal once again uh, as, as you introduce Zion. And, and, and pr- frankly, any Zion unit's got to have players who are competent as catch-and-shoot three-point shooters, both from a volume perspective and, and a percentage perspective. And so those first two years with Zion, I think Ingram was uh, around close to 40% on his catch-and-shoot threes, and, and the volume was decent, and it would be really nice for him to get back at that. And I, I do think there's going to be games where <laughs> Zion's probably not going to play, so he'll, uh, there's less of a hierarchy issue there. The one question I do have is what is this going to look like in crunch time? You know, who, who, who is going to set the table? Who is going to burst the defense open? Who's going to be the tip of the spear? And is it going to be something where it's uh, my turn, your turn? Is it going to be matchup dependent? Or are they going to lean all the way into one person and everyone else plays off? the other guy and, and I don't think they even know the answer to this but I am I think my concerns lie a little bit more in like the last five minutes of the game rather than uh the the first um 43 minutes and and I'm interested to see like what solutions they come up with as defenses tighten up and and you know you're, you're, in, you're in crunch time and, and every decision matters at that point I think it, maybe I'm misremembering but I think that we commiserated a fair amount not last season, but the season before, about some of those. It wasn't. Uh, it was. There was a lot of, of uh, dare I say, hero ball 
Um, and, and, and I think that, that Ingram was probably the most guilty of this. Um, and it's, it, this is a, you know, the issues we're talking about with, you know, Ingram and Zion and McCollum coexisting. These are, these are the kinds of things out of me. I mean, like the, the 76ers are, their season is going to be determined by how well, you know, see, uh, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden figure out to play off each other. The Cavs with, you know, Mitchell and Garland. Um, now both of those pairings, well, certainly the, the Cavs, I think is almost the most seamless just because I think both players have the, the, the skill sets and the willingness to do the off ball things. Um, I think we've seen that more from McCollum last year than we had in Portland, which I don't think it's surprising. Um, I think, you know, Portland had a very station to station offense, but it always seemed like McCollum was was the kind of crafty scorer who would figure out how to, you know, work off ball and stuff like that. But it is it 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 is from a, you know, three guys who are um, between limited and below average defensively. I think it's fair to say across the three, maximizing their synergy offensively is you know is pretty important to making it work. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely. Right. And, and Willie Green's going to have his work cut out uh, for him. But I, I do want to give them more credit uh, than perhaps they've been given in terms of how they operate off the ball. Uh, Zion is someone you, you, know, you can use in any which way you want to as a traditional big man, as a post up guy, as a role man, as a screener. Uh, I'm particularly interested in sets where he's screening for CJ off the ball and the ball is in uh, Brandon Dingham's hands, perhaps uh, on the other side of the court. Those are going to be. Uh, pretty dynamic ways in which the Pelicans can attack opposing defenses. But, and I think you're right on the assessment that CJ is going to be the person uh, that adjusts quicker, perhaps than, than Brandon Ingram. And, and he is used to playing with someone like Damian Lillard, who, when he's got it going, you know, the ball's going through his hands and you have to play off of that. So uh, with his experience and his skill set, and someone who is, is a high volume three point shooter and has increased his volume uh, since he came into the league, uh, that that's a nice fit, and I, I would like for again my my dream is uh, Ingram, CJ, and and Trey Murphy add that to the counter. Uh, all are relatively high volume catch and shoot three point um, uh, players because of of the looks that Zion's going to be generating and the way defenses are going to load up. I think that's really going to be the key to make this work, and it goes against kind of how Willie Green played his offense last year, which was a very mid-range, I mean, it, it was a paint-heavy offense, and it's always going to be a paint-heavy offense, but outside of the paint, it was not particularly high volume from three-point land, and it was a, a pretty good volume from, from mid-range, and, and Ingram and McCollum uh, were, in my opinion, efficient enough to make the offense work from those spots. I think they combined to, to shoot approximately 50% each, uh, or you know, close to that between the two of them. And, and I think that's that's sustainable enough offense if you're generating the n- amount of paint touches and uh, attempts at the rim that the Pelicans were attempting. So, But I, I do think uh, Willie Green should lean more into uh, perhaps the Warriors uh, days rather than the Monty Williams days and encourage his players to, to extend their range a little more. Uh, because I think while in the playoffs going back to um, you know, getting uh, self-created looks from the mid-range, if those are the ones, the best ones available, is, is going to be very key for this the team. I think in the regular season, you have to be able to combat teams that are just going to bear you from three. And you're not going to be able to do it if you're taking only 20 of them and, and making seven or eight 
whereas if someone else has taken 42 of them and made 15. Um, so, you know, I, I would like for them to explore that, and I think that's going to be sort of key in, in making some of these lineups work. But, again, with with the possession efficiency they're going to have by offensive rebounding, we noticed Valanciunas in there and, and Zion Williamson there. Um, and, and, you know, as you've very well documented, the sheer amount of rim attempts that Zion generates, I, I think they're just going to be a good offense regardless of what those two do. Yeah, no, it's it's for folks who are listening who have this is a I've tweeted out uh, several variations of the chart. Basically, Zion gets to the rim fifty percent more frequently than or has to this you know the short sample of his career we have. As in terms of rim attempts, he's he's fifty percent higher than anyone in 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 league history. Something like eighteen per hundred, and someone like Giannis or or Shaq are, are like 12 per hundred. So that's just, just like being able to get to the rim that much. Um, you know, that's rim, rim attempts are the best shots in basketball. And, you know, they generate other nice things like free throw attempts and offensive rebounds, both of which, as you correctly pointed out, uh, have some, some positive knock-on effects on your defense. So I think that basing, like, there's no reason not to, you know, base the offense on Zion Williamson being a, the, being the you know the 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 best battering ram in the NBA at this point, I think maybe maybe second only to Giannis. Although just the sheer physicality might 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 be a rival for Giannis as well. Right, it's 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 something that defenses generate their whole plan towards stopping, and, and you see that every single game and. Uh, I don't. I don't think the Pelicans of the past were as well equipped as they are this year to to handle those type of defenses. But you know, it's all on paper at this point. So you about the closing lineup, and and I think that's the like, what is it? What what it, like? I think that that in practice, it's going to be McCollum, Zion, Ingram, and Herb Jones, and somebody else. Um, I. I I'm still wondering if there are times where, you know, hey, maybe maybe it should be, uh, maybe it should be, you know, someone else instead of Ingram. Frankly, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think there we might find situations where, you know, it would be nice if we had one more, whether it's Trey Murphy or or Jose Allen Rod or something, with some, one other like more defensive minded player. But see, I. I... You know, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any world where Ingram is going to get subbed off, it's, even if it's just situationally. Like, offense, yeah. defense, subs, I can see them doing that with, with Zion. They've done it with, with Jonas. Um, Stan Van Gundy was certainly not shy about doing it with Zion. And, uh, frankly, I would like to see it with CJ more so than, than Zion or Ingram. Um, and and I would like Trey Murphy in, in those lineups. In, in a perfect world, you know, I, I am closing with Trey Murphy no matter what. But it seems like at this juncture, they're probably going to lean toward Larry Nance uh, as that fifth guy, just to add, I guess, a more mobile big man than, than Jonas without compromising rebounding too much. But, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, I think Trey Murphy, no matter who is on the court, provides a very valuable skill set from his positional I, size I, I count. as well as his ability <laughs> <laughs> as his ability to knock down shots and and it, you know it, I just struggle to find a way to keep him off the court but I think you know as you've talked about veteranosity with me I think that's going to come into play uh barring injuries 
And there's, you know, there's a couple of, there's a couple of candidates on the roster to get the, the veteran Austin new minutes. Uh, like, you know, um, last year, I think that uh, you were a big fan of the Garrett Temple minutes, weren't you? Huge fan, you know, number, number one, Garrett Temple. <laughs> <laughs> I continue to be in the preseason. He's like number three in, in terms of played minutes already. I part of that's due to injuries, but it's still funny. Yeah. So, so all this said, like it, it again, it's a, I am, I, I've always, I've never conv- convinced by Nance the five either. And so that that's that seems like the weird the weird spot. The like if there's fatal flaw in this roster, it's that I don't know. Is it, it like can we call it like a Marcus Morris type? You know, someone who can be sort of a credible interior defender who can space the floor. And and I do yeah. I do worry like. You know, Nance is someone who, over much of his career, you said it won't compromise the rebounding. I think that's been the biggest drawback of Nance at five-ups uh, throughout his career, throughout, you know, wherever he's been in his career, is those lineups that have traditionally protected the defensive backboards well. Uh, going back to, I've been a fan of Larry Nance, but it's just like, oh man, I'd be, I really like want to take a hard look at this guy, except if he's at the five, you get out-rebounded, actually. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. Again, I think um, he's not my ideal person to close with with that lineup. I, I do think he, you know, part of it is 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 the, t- the coaching staff is a little bit results oriented, and and they have that uh, playing game against the Clippers like seared into their mind, where Larry Nance was a huge uh, presence, uh, especially down the stretch against the Clippers small ball. And, and I think when you're going against other teams that are going small, just having someone who can be a lob threat and still like punish teams a little bit on the inside and play make enough, they, they like that. But I would argue that Trey Murphy is also a lob threat. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, – I, I was disappointed with their decision in the playoffs to go with Nance at times because Chris Paul was just absolutely cooking him in the pick and roll. Um and if you're doing that, they should lean fully into switching one through five. And I think they were still playing him drop at times. But even when he was switch, getting switched on to, to Chris Paul, like it was it was not great. Um, so I think they have some issues to iron out with with how they want to close. And frankly, there are certain lineups and teams that I would rather close with Jonas and and you know live with the fact that teams can probably draw him out of the paint and, and make him defend in space. I still think he's one of the best possession terminators in the league in terms of cleaning up the defensive glass and, and the presence that he provides you on the offensive glass is a balancing act that opposing teams have to juggle. And, and I think you see a lot of those strengths when you, when you decide to play Larry and if you want to go small, why not play one of the, the league's best shooters? <laughs> That's where I keep coming back to. Yeah. I, you know, the, 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 the sort of the let's get weird uh, option would be, I, I think that this this is the kind of thing that doesn't really happen because reasons. I mean, it's a veteranosity thing, but I kind of think that with the way the Pelicans are made up, like a second unit offense kind of built around Jonas coming off the bench and and 
you know, mashing against second units. And then you don't, then the minutes don't work out, so you have to want to close with him. But that's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen. You know, he's, he's, he's reached a certain, like, starting is still a big enough thing that he's going to start, right? Even though, right. that like, the, the sort of, especially offensively, like, him and, you know, every, like, a lot, so much of that front court of, of assuming you're going to call Ingram the three, like, is there, there's just people a little bit getting in each other's way in terms of the things they do best. And, and yeah. You know, like Zion and Jonas is a weird pairing in this in in a in a different space, but similar degree to which Ingram and Zion can be. I mean, I get it, but like, it's just it's I I'm, I have a tough time being moved by people getting in their in their way when I watch the Pelicans be the league's best offense for three straight months, starting sure. Stephen Adams and, and Eric Eric Bledsoe. Um, and, and, you know, that year, I believe they... Well, that's it. I, if, can, I, can I jump in there? I think I'm glad you brought up Stephen Adams because I think we saw this with Memphis a little last year in that, you know, I think as an individual offensive player, Valanchunas is better than Stephen Adams. Like, there's, I don't think we can... I don't think there's a ton of debate there. But having Adams being willing to be just kind of out of the way and crash the offensive boards and not need, touch, need post-touches or anything like that, um, I think that, I mean, the way I described it for Memphis last year was they kind of took the training wheels off. Uh, and I think that that, you know, that contributed to the, the lane being more open for, for Ja. I think that, that gave a lot more opportunities to Desmond Bain, uh, which are, were two pretty big developments for, for them. And, and I'm not saying it's to the same degree as being like kind of a, a safety, you know, a safety switch for the Pelicans, given that you know their offense is a lot of places to go, but you know the playing with an empty empty middle seems like would be with especially with the starting you know the 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 main three offensive cogs seems like it would be a a, a pretty good starting point. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I won't deny that Stephen Adams screen assists and and then him doing the the Gortat move uh, and just clearing out someone like he's a he's a blocker. Uh, and, and opening the paint up didn't help a lot, and and you know he's been a positive impact player on offense for for the last several years, surprisingly, and not so much on defense in terms of like where his reputation typically stands to lie as a poor offensive player but a good defensive one. The so that's that's fascinating, but I think Jonas will have to lean into some of that, some doing the dirty work and just pushing people out of the way and um, grabbing offensive rebounds. But uh, what, my my larger point was like, yeah. Despite Adams' limitations, they were still a functionally good offense, like a good offense. And and I think, like, yes, there will be issues where the Pelicans struggle uh, and perhaps trip over their own feet at times. And, and it's probably going to show its face in the in in the early portion of the season before they really like hit a stride. But I think you can manage the minutes well enough. I think there's enough. One, there's enough offensive talent in that starting unit to it not being a tremendous problem. And two. Where I do see it being a problem again is in those crunch time units, and I think that's where you know we're circling back this conversation to. It's like, okay, well, if we want to empty out the middle, what what are the best options there? And and if you look down the bench, it's like, well, it's not Jackson Hayes in my opinion. It's not Billy Hernan Gomez. Larry Nance is who, who the coaching staff is looking at. 
And and then you know we we've, we've talked about Trey Murphy at a nauseum. So if you were bringing Jonas off the bench at this stage to start off, my question to you would be: Who are you starting? Oof. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe start and answer. Go fully weird and 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 uh, start start Zion at the five. Um, it, I don't know. Yeah. Again, it's, it's just. Again, I'm just I'm thinking of over ways in which over 48 minutes you get kind of the the highest level of overall output, and it and again it seems like I think Valanciunas is a very good player who would they, who they could possibly get more out of separating him, especially from Zion. And obviously, there's not enough minutes to go around to give him like you know 28 non-Zion minutes because hopefully there aren't 28 right. non-Zion minutes. In the game. I, I agree that he's going to be the player whose offensive usage is going to take the biggest hit with the with the return of, of Zion, and uh, he's probably going to be less optimized than he was before. But the, I think the substitution pattern is probably going to play out something like um, Zion is the first person to sub out around the five or six minute mark uh, of the first quarter. They'll probably bring in Trey Murphy at that point and roll with. Uh, you know, a, a couple minutes of what approximates last year's playoff lineup with CJ, uh, BI, Trey, Herb, and, and Jonas. And then Jonas probably subs off pretty quickly at that point. Um, and, and you know, they're enter Larry Nance or, or Jackson Hayes or whatever. And, and but you're right that I do think they should, um, they should separate and stagger Zion and Jonas minutes from the initial first six minutes, like going forward uh, of, of the first and third quarters as much as they can. Sure. So kind of thing I wanted to, to hit on here um, before getting kind of your overall predictions of the season is um, are we in danger of, of Herb Jones being the so underrated he's overrated or are there, is there going to be kind of more offense to, to balance out, you know, what is, I mean, at least borderline all defense level play last year. That's, that's a, that's a good question. And, and I think you're going to have to ask, ask them the media this. And then I guess I am the media is what you're asking me. Uh, but when it comes to like a player being perceived as overrated, I think those things typically happen when a team spectacularly fails in one way or another and doesn't have the success. Uh, and, and either that happens in the regular season where they're just a bad team or in the postseason where everyone's shortcomings are under a microscope. So if the Pelicans are performing well and, you know, if they're if they're a, a solid playoff team, not a play-in team, I don't think there's going to be much scrutiny about what Herb Jones's offense is. I think people are just going to be talking about who he is as a defensive player and he'll generate more buzz and attention on that end. If the Pelicans are a team that's fighting for their lives in the play-in, well, people might look at, you know, reasons for what, why this is the case. And obviously, I think it stops at, starts at the top, so they're going to first look at Zion and BI and all that, and then they'll work their way down the roster. We're like, oh, this is the issue, that's the issue. So I think it all depends on how the Pelicans perform relative to expectations and, you know, what, what those results end up being. But he, I don't think there's any danger of him uh, losing his starting spot or anything. I think he's going to be in that lineup and he's going to be in every closing lineup. So, so look, look, I mean, I guess the, the question to ask the, the, is the other way, is the more positive way to ask the question is like, you know, there, there was at times last year, there was uh, a, a reluctance to, you know, we've talked about the catch and shoot game. Well, this is, you know, 
a player in that role has to be an aggressive. Well, it doesn't have to be, but it's it is a huge plus for them to be a a willing, you know, floor spacer, and that means you know catching and shooting or doing other productive things like off ball cutting and, and and things like that. So so my question is, he averaged uh, you know two and a half threes per thirty six last year, three attempts per thirty. That seems like it's got even with the offensive talent. It seems like that's got to be higher this year. Agreed, agreed. I'd, I'd like to see that <clears throat> around around the five five ish range, five or six range. But uh, a way they can sort of get around some of those issues is if they can push the pace a little more and play in transition and semi transition, <clears throat> and allow him to continue to attack downhill. And one thing that they are focusing on this year is putting the ball in his hands and allowing him to initiate some of that offense. And that, by you know, by by definition, will lift uh, the offense and create more space for for their star players. But I agree that it would be really nice and welcome to see development uh, on the three point front from him uh, in both volume and attempts. I think attempts uh, is step one, and I think the um, sorry, I said both volume attempts. I meant attempts and percentage. And attempts is step one, and then the percentage. You know, if, if it can even be thirty five, I think it'll be good enough. And he'll have games where where he does punish teams. It's just it's the uh, it's, it's the Roberson test. Does he get guarded, especially with you know playing alongside a you know a rim attack player as as dynamic as Zion? Does he get and, guarded? And I think what separates him from Roberson and the Matisse titles of the world is is that he can put the ball on the floor. Yes, and and I, I don't think he is a record scratch on a closeout. So. Um, and, and th- those are also skill areas that they prioritized this summer was developing that ball handling, developing, uh, uh, the ability to make reads as you're, you're facing a tilted defense. So, uh, hopefully we see more of that on display. Well, I certainly a player that, that I'm high on. And, and so I, you know, coming at it from the, so underrated is overrated. is a, it was, it was probably the wrong way to frame that, but anyway, um, so you know, this is this is one of those things where uh, I'm going to disagree with you because just by nature of you being you covering the team, your 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 prediction on where they're going to finish is probably going to be higher than mine would be because uh, I remember there was a couple one year ago where uh, um, Nate Duncan had you know someone from all 30 teams and he asked every single every single writer to over under and he the only person who went under of 30 teams was Frank Madden predicted the Bucks to go under, but 29 ever, uh, teams, oh, they'll go over easily. So, that being said, I'm going to disagree with you. What do you think, that, what's a, what does a successful season for the Pelicans look like, and where do you think they end up? I, I think a successful season for the Pelicans is is what I touched on earlier, is being one of those top six teams and not being in the play. <clears throat> and I mean, that's, a, that's a bear in the West this year. Yeah, it is. The West is, is crazy, but uh, I think that's a reasonable goal for, for them, uh, especially if, if Zion is one of these top 15, top 10 level players, then, then you look at other players in that tier and you look at their supporting cast and you have to ask yourself, do they have, you know, let's, let's set fit aside for a second, but do they have the amount of sheer talent that Zion has around him? And and if he's that caliber of player, then I don't think it's a... Uh, an unreasonable ask for for the Pelicans to be a top six level team. Um, if he's if he's less than stellar, or if his you know supporting cast is is hurt, or you know if, if I guess if if one of them regresses, 
then then you know maybe those those questions start arising. But as it stands, then I, I think I consider a successful season one which they make it out relatively healthy. Ingram missed thirty twenty seven games last year. Um, he played yeah he played fifty fifty five. Um, Zion obviously didn't play the whole season, so if we can get sixty five games out of both of them, uh, that is also something I consider a success. And and yeah, I think that's where I'm at. The, the Vegas over under had him around forty three and a half, I think, or maybe forty four and a half. And and that's where I would set the over under if if it was the second half of last year's team with the CJ and Ingram and, and, and that iteration of it. And I think if you add Zion, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm going to be the team cover homer guy, but I'm taking the over. Uh, on well, that at, set. at at forty three, well, you said forty three, forty fourth. So okay. I was, I was, you know, thinking, where do I slot the man in the West? Like, I don't think, I, I think you would not put him on like the, you know, the Warriors, uh, Nuggets, Clippers, uh, one or two other teams you might want to throw on that. Like, nope, these are the definite, like, these are the definite guys out West, you know, whether you want to put Phoenix there or not, but, um, I don't want to put like, Phoenix there. I'm not upset. A... <laughs> I don't want to put Phoenix there, you know. I, I barring what happens with, with this Jay Crowder stuff, I don't think they're very deep. And you know, if, if Chris Paul gets hurt, like how are they going to sustain? And uh, yeah. I have a lot of questions about about that team. And, and you know, I think obviously if the Clippers are healthy; uh, they should be considered one of the favorites out the West. The Warriors, um, likewise, and and the Nuggets winning forty eight without you know any any healthy player was was an incredible feat. I was year, so they... I was required to make my first, my fi- like make my preseason uh, uh, finals prediction on an, on another pod uh, yesterday, and and I picked the Nuggets to come out of the West. So my wow. my, my flag is planted in the ground there. But uh, wow, I mean, hey, I think I mean, it's I mean they're it's, healthy. I mean it's it's yeah. I mean it's said about everybody. It's as <laughs> I, I, it's as wide open as as I can ever remember. But the point being is that like okay so. They're probably but after not those a... three teams. I'm not a believer in in the rest of them. Like I said, I'm not a believer in Phoenix. Uh, are they capable of having a, a really good year? Sure. Uh, I, I th- if you play a season out a hundred times, how often do they have that season? On average, I'm not. I'm not a believer in them. Uh, obviously, not a believer in the Lakers. Um, refuse to talk about them that. Team. I wasn't even going to bring then, them up. Sure, uh, but then you know you have Memphis who. Uh, had a really successful season last year, but depending on how much time Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, misses, as well as you know how many minutes some of these these younger players are going to get, I think while their ceiling might be higher in the long term, there there was, in my opinion, uh, a conscious move towards getting some of these younger players more minutes, and I think that compromises the, the straight up wins they're going to get this year. And then you're left with Dallas, and and I think neither you and I are fans of Christian Wood. So I, I don't, you know, I look at what how the success they had in the playoffs, and I think they went away with that with their free agency signings in terms of uh, Jabel McGee and, and Christian Wood. Uh, so if, if Luca is an MB, has an MVP level year, sure, I great, you know, they're probably going to be a top four, top five team. Well, no, they have to, probably are a top four team, top three team at that point. If, but yeah, Luca is not getting, uh, you know, Jokic the Jokic vote. Jokic is it like that was those seasons were so spectacular and like the yeah. recognition of how kind of limited the cast around him was was I think I don't think we're gonna see and uh, see a, a a team you know kind of that low down the standings produce an MVP for a long while um, and right. I, I, I someone who would have voted for him both years um, but that's that that was more he was just that good um, so yeah, but that, that yeah, so absolutely. That, 
So the question is, though, do you, do you sort of the same line as like, you know, Memphis, Phoenix, Dallas, where do you have them relative to Minnesota? Like, these are the, like, these are some of the interesting questions. Like, is, where does Portland fit in this mix? I don't, I don't know if we, how we think they're going to be, I think Minnesota is going to be a good regular season team. So I, I am pretty high on them. I think they're just going to, to be a machine of sorts. The offense is going to be I think there's a lot of similarities between the two teams, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think so. Um, you know, I think I, I I would suspect they have a better defense than the Pelicans, <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I think in terms of start like interior with scoring and all yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, I do think the Pelicans are more versatile in like the lineups they can play, um, whereas I think Minnesota really doubled down on 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 one particular style. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of those other teams you mentioned, Memphis. Uh, you can sure, throw the Lakers in there, whatever. I, I don't see them no. being. <laughs> no. I don't see them being like you know definitively better than the Pelicans, and I'll play my uh, I'll play my fan flag on that. So, kind of in that in that sort of second or third tier of Western Conference playoff teams is kind of you know yeah like wherever you would put like like uh, as as a playoff team, assuming assuming reasonable health. Would you agree that you probably still have Memphis and Phoenix above them? I mean, not not in terms of regular season wins. Just like okay, these these teams ha- are are get to the playoffs healthy, neutral court seventh game. Who do I think wins? See, I can't do like seeing how Phoenix looked last year. I, I just don't see how their ceiling as a playoff team is higher this year. Especially if they're losing, I, I have to see what moves they're going to make. But if, if they're losing right. Crowder, who you could maybe argue is, is a boon for them in the playoffs, but uh, I just I don't know. I, I think when you look at how like we we, we, did, we spent a lot of time downplaying how this, the Suns last year um, at the beginning of this pod, and now I'm adding Zion to the mix, and and I just can't say like, hey, given what I saw last year. And now I add Zion to this playoff series that the Suns are a better playoff team in a seven in a seven game series. I just I just can't do that. All right, it's fair enough. Um, well, cool. I think that's a, that's a good spot as any to uh, to to end off on today. Do you uh, you have anything that uh, you've written recently or anything else you want to uh, you want to pitch to people so they where they can find you? For sure. Uh, you can find me at Fear the Brown, uh, which is my Twitter account. You can find my work at Boot Crew Media. Um, and I do a podcast with Mason Ginsburg, which is also part of Boot Crew Media, uh, called In the Know, which is N-O, like New Orleans. And we'll, we put out um, short YouTube videos uh, all the time, and which are going to be coming out with increasing frequency as the season is starting. And yeah, all my work is... Uh, the best place to find all my stuff is on Twitter. Well, very cool. Well, thanks. Thank you for a short notice. Uh, always, always a joy to talk with you. And and I am, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to to hopefully healthy first fully healthy Zion season. I am I am I'm here for it. Uh, so oh, we all are, man. Yeah, hope we get that. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining me, uh, folks. Thanks for listening. I am back tomorrow with. Uh, bit of non-NBA preseason. I know Han of uh, ESPN uh, is has a book coming out next week called Gains, which is um, a little bit like little bit little bit like my book, except applied to soccer. So I'm gonna we're gonna chat with him about that uh, tomorrow afternoon. So hopefully you join me then.
Thanks a lot for listening and talk to you then.